Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Cryptids of the Corn Podcast. That was nice. I am the great and powerful mystery. And I am the great and wonderful Jay. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we do so good. Professionals. Uh, Today... Uh, this this so this episode we're recording it timely, but won't come out for probably about a a month after this news breaks. Right? Yeah. Uh, and it is like breaking news. It is. With a company that me and Jay have very different opinions on. We do. Yes. How do you know? Because we've already talked about this off air. Oh. Unless you've changed, which does happen. Okay. So we're going to talk about the thylacine. All right. Or. Also known as the Tasmanian tiger. Yep. Not a tiger. Not a wolf. Why do they call it? Just a marsupial. Oh, they just, oh, I know why they call it that. So this is a uh, coyote size, you know, 40 to 50 pounds most of the time. A long-tailed mm-hmm. uh, marsupial canid look. It really looks like a canine. Um, the reason mm-hmm. they call it the Tasmanian tiger is it's orange or yellow with black stripes on its rump. It basically, uh, yeah, the whole back half side of it has yeah. st- yep. or stripes running across its body, just like a tiger, you'd imagine. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so this this animal's had a very unique recent history, well, and I see recent, you know, last 200 years. Mm-hmm. Oh, the thylacine, uh, do you want, me to, you want a scientific name? Oh, absolutely. So, thylacinus, which I like. Nice, easy, straight to the point. Silocepilagius. <laughs> Okay, that was a little more complicated. Is an extinct, maybe important word there. Extinct, carnivorous, 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 marsupial. I drank way too much coffee. Uh, was native <laughs> to Australian mainland and the islands of Tasmania and New Guinea. Oh, but New it, Guinea. The last known living animal was captured in 1930 in Tasmania. It is commonly known as a Tasmanian tiger because of its stripes on its lower back. Or the Tasmanian wolf because of its canine-like characteristics. Hmm. So we got Tasmanian tiger or Tasmanian wolf. Yeah. Okay. And it has tons of local names depending on where you're at in the world. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, the Koran, the Kamanuhia, the Kaburwaniru, the Lorini, the Lorena, the Kaniri, the Legata. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I... Said two of those right because they actually were phonetically pronounced. <laughs> uh, the thylacine was relatively shy and nocturnal, so we're going to get into this animal was hyper persecuted, like uh, for good reason, probably. No, oh, <laughs> uh, it's dingoes, and it got the short end of the stick. 
We're oh. going to talk about this weird kind of thought pattern behind dingoes and thylacines. Because the one... I, there was like a weird thought. We'll get into it. It's weird. It always is weird to me that they're like, that's the bad guy. Oh, okay, I gotcha. I was going to say... So, once again, very shy, nocturnal. Uh, they gen- Their general appearance of medium to large size canids, except they do have a very, very stiff tail. Uh, they do have a pouch similar to that of kangaroos. Once again, they are marsupials. Mm. Uh, so besides their very canid appearance, they are a marsupial still. Why are so many marsupials from Australia? Why is that? Is there a reason? That's where they... So that marsupials took hold in Australia, and they pretty much died out everywhere else. Okay. So marsupial megafauna existed. Pretty much the only megafauna that existed in Australia were marsupials. Hmm, interesting. Uh, not all, but most... And so Australia was separate enough to not compete with megafauna coming off the the, ma- the other continents, mm. but it was also far enough not to spread them out. Ah, okay. Marsupials don't co-compete very well. Uh, like possums really have trouble with the cold. I was going to say, that's what, what do we have here? Possums? Virginia possums are the only marsupial in North America. Really? That's it? I think golden possums are in South America. There's a couple other possum species, but there's not many marsupials off the continent. Okay. Once again, now I have to find my spot. Sorry. So because of <laughs> convergent evolution, which we've talked about a couple times on this show, uh, Tasmanian tigers are the trilocenes, or thylacines. Yes. I grew up saying trilocene. I don't know why. It's just what the, one of the shows I watched growing up said. What if it's a Mandela effect? It could be. Uh, they have extremely similar jaws to wolves, Canis lupus of the Northern Hemisphere. Hmm. Um, and they also have very, very... They're, they're more similar to red foxes. Okay. In skull shape and morphology. Uh, the trilocene was a formidable apex predator, though uh, how large its prey animals were is heavily disputed. So there are some arguments whether these were more like wolves and they would kill much, much larger game during the last ice age. Okay. Or if they were more like foxes killing much smaller things than themselves. Right, yeah. Eating a whole... And I personally lean towards the latter. The fox? Yeah. They kind of look like foxes. They look like both. And they both... They have characteristics of both. So I'm not saying that they couldn't take on large game. Right. I don't think that was their role in the environment, though. They don't look like they're built quite like wolves, you know? I think... I think you could kick one to death. Probably. <laughs> it's closing living relatives are the members of the... Dysoriformidia day. Oh, okay. Uh, including the Tasmanian devil and quills. Mm. Uh, there's a whole bunch of marsupials that most people don't see because they're super rare. Yeah. They kind of look halfway between like a possum and a rat and a badger. That's a... A quoll. Quoll? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Q-U-O-L-L. Yeah, that sounds right. I've never quoll. even heard of that. Uh, so... The, the thylacines were one of only two marsupials known to have pouches in both sex. Ooh, okay. The other is still extinct species, such as water possums of Central and South America. Uh, the pouch of the male thylacines served as a protective sheath covering their uh, external reproductive organs. Mm, okay. Their, their pouch is more like a cup. Gotcha. Like a little uh, loincloth. Yeah. The thylacines... The, tri- the thylacines... Had become locally extinct in both New Guinea and Australian Mandan- or mainland before British settlement on the continent. The last stronghold was the island Tasmania, which is a huge island. If you look on the map, it looks tiny. Yep. Because it's next to Australia. Mm-hmm. But it is a huge landmass. Right. And it's just off the south of Australia, right? I think I looked at it up. I think I east. Think east, like southeast or something. Yeah. I'm just going to look real quick, but... So... Where was I now? You got me all thrown off. Nah, I know. So, but it's the last stronghold of the island of Tasmania, along with several other endemic species, including the Tasmanian devil. Uh, pretty much, the hunting encouraged by bounties greatly blamed further its extinction, but other contributing factors have been uh, put forth, such as disease, introduction of competition with dingoes, uh, human encroachment onto their habitat, and so forth. Mm. So, we got It these. was people. <laughs> I was gonna say, so we'll we, talk about it later. We got these fox, wolf-like, tiger-striped uh, marsupials, mm-hmm. and their last stronghold was known to be Tasmania, yep. which is off the southeast coast of Australia, kind of between Australia and New Zealand, that big island there. Yep. And now they're gone. Fun fact about Tasmania, 
There are no non-venomous snakes. There are no non-venomous snakes? Mm-hmm. So everything there is venomous? Every snake you see is venomous. <laughs> oh, wow. Wait, and why did they go extinct again? No, I think we just figured that one out. Yeah. Everything uh, it touches is venomous, probably. A weird sidebar, real quick, is there's an episode of Peppa Pig. Oh, it's 100% gosh. banned in Australia. Oh, yeah? Because it taught kids not to fear spiders. Oh, okay. Uh, here in the U.S., that's an important lesson. The amount of spiders we have that can actually do damage is extremely, extremely low. It's like two. Even most time you get bit by a black widow, most people don't have an advert reaction. Really? Yeah. Why do they got that such bad rep? Because when you do have an advert reaction, it's very bad. Okay, gotcha. And same with brown recluses. Yeah, brown recluses are bad, yeah. They've been in this house a lot. Really? Yeah. Ooh. Uh, grandma, my mom got bit and she was fine, and my grandma got bit and it like rotted one of her fingers. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, there are... Anyways. Uh, so, but it taught kids not to be scared of spiders and they banned it in Australia because every spider is pretty much bad news in Australia. <laughs> yeah, and they're like the size of your hand. Well, yeah, even the, the big tarantulas and stuff like that. Yeah. Do, most most parts of the world, tarantulas don't have strong venom for people. They uh-huh. have a very painful bite because mm-hmm. they're freaking huge. Right. But Australia, they still have some potent venom. <laughs> Everything there. There oh. are non-venomous things in Australia. Only one of the few places in the world with venomous mammals. And Aust- is Australia? Mm-hmm. Oh, should I know this answer or no? Maybe. What is it? Platypus. Oh, I knew that. Mammals are venomous. They're only in Australia? Mm-hmm. Oh. So, I'm going to talk about a little bit of taxonomy and evolutionary history of the Tasmanian devil and Tasmanian tiger. So, both the Tasmanian devil and the Tasmanian tiger, or the thylacine, were both labeled as members of the Dephyloeus uh, from Harrison's 19, or 1808 descriptions. This is the earliest known non-indigenous illustrations of the thylacine. Numerous examples of thylacine's engravings in rock art have been found dating back to at least 1000 B.C., Pictograph images of the thylacine have been found at Damper's Rock Art in uh, Burrup Peninsula of Western Australia. So the, mm. the cool thing about the Aborigines is they have the oldest, it kind of argued, depending on who you want to listen to, I fall, I agree, they have the oldest written language okay. in the world uh, that they can still read. Okay. Uh, it's 40,000 years old, I think, is some of it. That's pretty old. Yeah. Uh, but it's mostly pictograph. Right, right. So that's kind of where people argue about written language. Because it's not like in It's not words, writing. It's, it's pictures. It's pictures mm-hmm. But they can still read it. Gotcha. Kind of like, well, it so would be I like... Think it is, I think it is the oldest writing in the world. Because what it's just all made up symbols anyways. It's like a... What's that called in Egypt? Now I'm blanking. They're writing. I don't know why I'm blanking. It's blank. a type of pictograph. What's that called? Hieroglyphics. Hieroglyphs. Gosh. Yeah. There's that. You got See, cuneiform. that's writing. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's I like just pictures. think it's a... It's a knock on the aborigines i also don't think aborigines have the oldest like living not living but like the oldest as far as you can go back in time like people like the aborigines aren't they like the oldest they're living people they're they're one of the oldest non-disrupted communities on the planet that's what i'm trying to say no new in or out gotcha yes uh because it's they figured out to live in australia so kudos (laughs) yeah it makes you pretty special and unique without you know another country sending you constant medical supplies. Right, exactly. Because everything that bites you in Australia, if you get bit by something in Australia, it's probably not good. Right, you're dead. They have two types of Bigfoot. Hmm. Uh, so the first time a European, uh, first the Europeans arrived, the animals were already extinct in the mainland, like I already said, blah, blah, blah. Uh, they were called tiger cats in 1772. Uh, positive ID these animals as the first seen tiger quolls. So once again, that other family member they're related to, quolls, yep. they called them tiger quolls, uh, is it similarly described. So yeah, it just, uh, the whole bunch of them being, they're very shy animals. So they would go yeah. a long time without being seen. Okay. Hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge for later. Mm. So like, yeah, so a lot of these, uh, for a long time, before they got really good at catching them and killing them, uh, most of the time they were like seen... Some are three years, some are five years, some are 30-year gaps. Oh, wow. Okay. Because they knew people were bad. Once again, skull, you know, skull morphology, they look very similar to red fox. Some people compare them to the, the gray wolf, which I can see a little bit, but their skulls aren't as meaty. Gotcha. Uh, they're a lot narrower. They're really more like a red fox. Okay. Uh, they do have a really similar shape. You know, I got a picture for Jay. 
you got skulls here. Yep, look at the top. But you can see what I'm saying with the the wolf oh, yeah. versus the very similar the trilocene though. But the trilocene is very, much more narrower. Huh. Uh, it's not as built. Yeah, it looks a little the just smaller. The crest is very different. But but the shape overall shape is very similar. Hmm. Hmm. That like I said earlier, they do look like foxes, but like with the not a bushy tail, like the yeah. same length, but it's like really short haired fur, like the long straight i don't know short-haired tail where the tiger stripes are pretty neat on their backs so yeah tracing footprints so that's one thing we're going to talk about because when we get into some later things their footprints yeah so foot morphology tracing footprints can be distinguished from other native and introduced animals so unlike foxes cats dogs wombats or even tasmanian devils the thylacines have a very large rear pad in four obvious foot pads, or like toe pads. Mm-hmm. They are arranged in almost a straight line. So they don't have the big, like, dogs are almost a U. Okay. Um, their hind legs are very similar to their forelegs, uh, but had a fourth digit rather than five. Their claws were non-retractable, so they always, so unlike cats, they always have their claw marks. But yep. both footprints only have four toes. Okay. But yeah, that's just kind of it. That They have a very unique... Very, very unique foot pad, even compared to other marsupials and invasives. Mm. Uh, so their their desired habitat, uh, they most likely prefer dry eucalyptus forest, wetlands, grasslands of mainland Australia. Indigenous Australia rock paintings indicate that the thylacines lived alongside mainland Australians and New, and New Guineans. Uh, proof of the animal's existence in the mainland Australia came from a discarded carcass that was discovered in a cave in... Uh, some I'm not gonna try to pronounce the name. <laughs> an Aborigines territory in yeah. 1990. Carb revealed Ooh. that it was from 3,300 years ago. So Australia has all these like weird caves. Yeah. With mummified animals. Wow. Okay. And that kind of we'll eventually cover the bunyip. Uh, but that's some stories that they may have found these giant marsupials from the last ice age that were mummified, not fossilized. So like so they still had skin and stuff on them. Mummified by like man or no natural mummification. Natural. Okay, it does happen in Asia. Right. Yes. Uh, so it still had skin and stuff on it. So it looks relatively recently dead. Yes. Even though it was dead for five thousand years. I've discovered I think a mummified cat once. When, it happens when going under my brother's house. So they do. They do know they were on mainland within the last three thousand years. Uh, recently examined fossilized footprints also suggest historical distributions of the species on Kangaroo Island. Uh, the northmost records of the species is from Kiowa Rock Shelters in the Kunubida province in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, dating back to the mm. early Holocene, so 10,000 to 85,000 years ago before present. Mm. In Tasmania, it is prefer, uh, its preferred w- would be the woodlands of the mainland and the coast heath, which is uh, primarily focused on British settlements, the grazer cattle and stuff. So this is kind yeah. of where problems start. The preferred habitat is where all these British people wanted to start putting cattle. Mm. Cattle. Right. The stripe patterns may have uh, provided camouflage in these woodland conditions, but it also may have served as a, for, identifi- for identification purposes. These animals had a typical home range of between 40 and 80 mile, or kilometers, 15 to 31 square miles. Not unusual for most, even most other predators of their size class. Right, yeah. Uh, wolves have a lot bigger range than that. Mount, or cats have a lot bigger range than that. Sounds like probably like coyote kind of yeah. area. I'd say that's probably close. I wonder, coyote or fox. I, I wonder too if they're they got a little outpost or a stronghold in that. Um, what is it? A national park or forest on the southwest side of Australia? It's like what we say is one of the most undiscovered or most unexplored forests in the in the world. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Nothing, Jay. Oh my gosh! Yes, I do think they could be there. What did you do? You think I did? I jump ahead again? It's okay. I'm using my brain power. You always right? catch on. Yes, I do think they are there. Okay. All right. Or could be. We'll put a we'll put a pin in that one too. Ecological and behaviors. Uh, so the they had even in zoos. Uh, there's a couple of really cool pictures of them from yeah. zoos and stuff like that. Yeah, if you Google it, you can still see a. A lot of pictures of them, actually. So very little is known about their behaviors, almost like they were wiped out the second we've seen them. A few observations <laughs> were made of these animals in captivity, but only limited. 
uh, anecdotal evidences for their behaviors in the wild. Most observations were made during the day when they did not want to be awake, uh, since these are typically nocturnal. The observations made in the 20th century may have been atypical, but uh, whether the species already were under extreme stress that soon led to their extinction. Yep. Uh, some behavior characteristics have been basically observed from their close relatives, the Tasmanian devil. Mm. Not a good one to look at. No. So very the aggressive. Yeah, the Tasmanian devil is like a wolverine. Yes. Uh, it's pretty much that kind of animal. Even though they're, they punch a lot uh, higher above their weight class. Uh, every time, it seems like. And we'll get into it later, but the Tasmanian tiger punches a lot lower, it seems. Mm. Okay. Reproduction. There is evidence for at least uh, some year-round breeding. Uh, so call records, call records, which is killing records, show joeys being discovered in pouches in all times of the year. Oh. They were killing so many of these things. Although the peak breeding season was probably in the winter and spring months, they would produce uh, up to four joeys per litter, typically two or three, carrying the young in the uh, pouch for up to three months, protecting them until they were at least half adult size. Early pouched young hairless and blind uh, until they'd open their eyes and fully furred. At this time, they would leave the pouch. The young were also have their own pouches, but were not visible until they were at least nine and a half weeks old. After leaving the pouch and until they were developed enough to assist, the juveniles would remain in the lairs while their mothers hunted. Thylacines only uh, only once bred successfully in captivity at the Melbourne Zoo in 1899. The life expectancy in the wild was estimated between five to seven years, although captive specimens survived up to nine years. Taking another breath. <laughs> in 2008, basically, um, they just they don't know anything about them. They they did some uh, CT scans and preserved. Uh, they would carry extremely large joeys. It's crazy how to think. Like sometimes they would be like half the size of the adult was still riding around in the pouch. In the pouch, really? Mm-hmm. Uh, quick question on the word joey is that every marsupials like yes that's a baby okay because i always thought it was just kangaroos no nope. joeys but all, all right. marsupials that's what their babies are called I didn't know that i learned something today yep uh feeding and diet this is kind of a really argued argued thing uh so the thylacines were exclusively carnivorous in captivity they uh they were clearly preferred birds preferably chickens hmm. in the wild there were large ground dwelling birds such as the uh I'm not going to try to pronounce this, uh, but there are, are a lot of ground-dwelling birds in Tasmania. Okay. Uh, but they hunted a wide range of prey. Uh, their modern bite force would more suited for hollow avian bones. So we're going to get into that later. They did not have a strong bite. Mm, okay, so they weren't going after any big predators or nothing. And that's kind of the arguing. Uh, there were giant fowl, though. Elephant birds still exist this time. Mm-hmm. Birds like that, moas. Moas were on Tasmania and New Zealand which were 10, 12-foot-tall birds. But I have to imagine their bones are pretty easy to break. Comparatively, yes. Yeah. But we don't have any evidence they were hunting them. There are some illustrations, and people count that as evidence. I do not. What, illustrations being evidence? Yeah. So a guy draws a picture of this... Of this scene. (laughs) Right. Basically, that's it. Yeah. All right. That's evidence. Yeah. Uh, So we're coming up on it. But... They have a, I don't want to ruin it. They have a really big persecution problem at the end. But I'm painting this picture. They look like they prefer birds as food. Yeah, okay. In captivity, almost exclusively selecting chickens. They would be throwing rabbits and all kinds of stuff. And they'd almost, almost exclusively pick the chickens. Okay. Chickens that are, Tasmania had everything from smaller than chicken sized ground birds to 10, 12 foot tall ground birds. Okay. Uh, so there was a ton of species in between. So I really think they were more uh, facing that for their preferred food. And the natural habitat. Yeah. So extinction in the mainland, we'll cover real quick first. Australia lost more than 90% of their megafauna around 40,000 years ago, which is a notable exception of several kangaroo species and the thylacine. So pretty much everybody bigger than like... A small fox or a fox, okay, died out. Dang. Okay, forty thousand years ago. Mm-hmm. Except for several species of kangaroo in the thylacine, uh, probably because they weren't feeding on the megafauna. So normally, when the big herbivores go out, yeah, it makes sense that they the predators go out too because they no, normally if a predators adapt to catching large animals, mm-hmm. 
it's normally not good at hunting small ones. Right, yeah. That's why they think the saber-toothed tiger went extinct, is the big fauna went extinct. They uh, weren't good at catching deer. Right. They big, beefy animals. And they probably needed that protein, the mm-hmm. big protein. Yeah, they couldn't catch deer. Mm, makes sense. It'd be like a, a bear can catch deer very once in a while, but it's hard for them to do. That's why it's not a main food source. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were nearly... So the, they survived in uh, itself, but they probably went extinct in most of the range in the mainland about 2,000 years ago. Hmm. But that's not that long ago. No, it's pretty recent. And that's judging by fossil record in bone evidence. Mm, okay. So we could have a big gap. I think they're still in the mainland a little bit. But uh, extinction in Tasmania. So this is when stuff goes wrong. Okay. Uh, although the thylacine went extinct to the mainland Australia, it survived all the way up until the 1930s on the island of Tasmania. At this, uh, at the time of the first European settlers, the heaviest distribution were in the northeast, northwest, and north midland regions of the state. Uh, they were rarely sighted during this time, but slowly began to have credible or to have credited with numerous attacks on sheep. Hmm. Nobody's seen them. They just assume? They would come out, and there'd be dead sheep. Hmm. Nobody's seen them. Gotcha. They never witnessed a sheep attack. Dead sheep. Yes. Nobody's seen them. This led to the establishment of bounty schemes in the attempt to control their numbers. Uh, the Van Desmond's Land Company introduced bounties on the thylacine in the early 1830s, between 1888 and 1909, the Tasmanian government paid one pound per head of dead adult and 10 shillings per pup. Hmm. And all they paid out, 2,184 bound- bounties. And it is thought that there may be more thylacines killed than were claimed for. Its extinction is uh probably attributed to the ruthless efforts of farmers and bounty hunters not probably it was yeah they were doing fine yeah uh they were then you take two thousand out of out of the circulation real quick Mm -hmm. so however though it is likely had multiple factors led to the decline and eventual extinction no (laughs) well yes yes so we're gonna go over some of them some of them yes but it's the same thing it's like what we talked about with our lake local us that it's a secondary factor caused by the first thing. Gotcha, yeah. Uh, including competition with wild dogs that were introduced in the area by the European settlers at the same time Ooh. to help kill local varmints. AKA. They were releasing wild dogs yeah. into the area to kill small animals. Which, what, you think it's that they took the well, that's, their I, food source? I don't think anything. Are you assuming? But the competition with them, yeah, is that the the wild dogs are eating the freaking sheep. Oh, that's what you're saying. The wild dogs were killing the sheep. So they brought in their own pests. They literally brought in wild dogs. I'm not talking like pet dogs. No, wild dogs. They brought dogs. in feral dogs. Yeah. And started releasing them on the island to kill all the little animals. And they're like, huh, sheep are a lot easier to kill. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah. A study from 2012 also found that it were uh, there were no there was no disease influences like some people claim with the thylacine's extinction because the Tasmanian ty- or the Tasmanian devils right now are having a big time with diseases. Oh, I didn't know that. Right now, that they're going extinct. They'll probably be extinct in a while very soon. Oh, not Sarcophilus satanicus. I know their uh, Latin name. I was very impressed. You know why I know that? Did you do a thing on them in high school? No, there's an episode of Wild Boys. With Steve-O and oh. Chris Pontius, and they're dressed up as, like, druids, and they just kept going, Sarko, Phyllis, Satanicus. <laughs> it was so funny. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> there was no, it doesn't seem to be any disease influence, like a lot of people claimed. They were, a lot of people were trying to make it seem like it wasn't the government's fault or the people's fault. They went mm. extinct. Okay. Anything to divert from that is a good enough excuse for them. They were building these giant traps. The only way they were really catching them, some people were shooting them straight up. Yeah. But they were building these giant traps because they were so shy and scared of people. Oh. That they were hard to catch. I wonder, yeah, exactly. Man, that kind of sucks, though. So I'm going to, here's what I'm going to say. They were not killing. So their bite pressure was super weak. Okay. They had very more fox similar jaws. Red fox similar jaws. Mm Mm-hmm. They brought sheep 
and the Tasmanian tiger almost exclusively ate birds, it seems like. In captivity, we really had trouble getting them to eat rabbits. Right, yeah. Live rabbits. Let alone a friggin' sheep. I wonder if they put a sheep in there with it. What they happened? were hyper shy. Mm-hmm. They had so why the, another thing that were so scary is they had one of the widest opening jaws of any mammal ever. Mm, okay. Eighty degrees. That's pretty big. Yeah. That's like your snapping turtle. Yeah. Bosco. Mm-hmm. So they could open the jaws super wide, but the bite force wasn't there. There's a lot of evidence showing that they would have a lot of trouble causing the kind of trauma that some of these sheep farmers were seeing. Mm, okay. These sheep were more ripped apart. Yeah. Makes sense. And I wonder if their bite, like their mouth opened so big to catch birds. Like it yes. Makes sense. Yeah. Because mm. they jump up and catch the low flying birds. Don't foxes do that too? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. They're foxes. They're big foxes. For environmental niches. Right. They're big foxes. Yeah. Uh, they were hunted to extinction. Yeah. B- brutally. Uh, so like I said, in that small gap in years, they paid out like 2,000 bounties. And this is... Um, what time period? This is not even a hundred years ago. This is like in the twenties and thirties when that happened. No, that was eighteen eighty eight to so, nineteen oh nine. Okay, so late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Yeah, because the last ones were seen in the twenties and thirties, right? Yeah. Uh, Benjamin was the last trilocene ever seen, a thylacine ever seen alive, and and that was nineteen thirty five, and he was in a zoo. Zoo. Yep. Uh, and, and he died. And that's probably all the famous pictures you see when you look yeah, him up. Yeah, mostly it's Benjamin. Mm-hmm. Benjamin and his mate, and his mate died way before him. I mean, it stinks that they shot and you know, killed all these, but how cool of it would, would it be to have a pelt of one of these? So, after... Yeah, there you go. That would be pretty so awesome. after the 1920s, mm-hmm. there were no trilocenes left, or almost no trilocenes left. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird, though? Hmm. The sheep killing didn't stop. Well, <laughs> doesn't that suck? <laughs> I think they were off then. The sheep killing didn't stop. Hmm. And a lot of the stories kind of stop there. Yeah. It's like, there's still the same number of sheep are dying. Yeah. And these bounty hunters, her whole career was going out and hunting these things, couldn't find them anymore. Mm. And the same number of sheep still dying. are still dying. Mm. They were being ripped apart violently. You ever seen a dog kill something? It's ripped apart violently. Yeah, if it wants to get into it. Yeah. It either shake it to death or it will rip it apart. The mindset, because they were kind of scary. Uh-huh. They were fairly large, not heavy, but large build, uh, kind of like Doug, German Shepherd. Yeah. Big, super big heads. Super wide opening jaws. Mm-hmm. They couldn't bite very hard. Mm-hmm. Super shy. If you put up a piece of wood, they probably were never going there again. <laughs> they were hard to catch. So they didn't want to be around people's stuff. Literally, I read so many things about them having to cover these traps. Yeah. And so much foliage. Just because if they them. could see like a piece of metal, they're like, oh, gosh, and they take, take, take off. Ah, really? These were not going near your sheep. Yeah. I bet you they killed two sheep in all of history. Mm-hmm. It's probably because one fell on it. And I was, <laughs> was going to say you might be giving it a bit too much, but because one fell on it. I don't know why it made me laugh. <laughs> one just fell on it. That the counts. mindset, though, it blows my mind that these people were actively, like, they brought in these wild packs of dogs. <laughs> And we're like, it's the trilocene's fault. Right, yeah. And the government started paying money. Keep in mind, we're talking about the early to mid 1800s. Mm-hmm. And they're paying a pound note per head. Per head, yeah. That's like a lot of money. And, and people made their careers out of it, killing right. these things. Mm-hmm. Targeting specifically moms with pups. Because if they get one with a pouch, they had a couple in the pouch, you have more that's money. 10 shillings per pound. Right. Wow, that sucks. It, I will never get over it. I know I keep saying it. The killing of sheep didn't change after they were extinct. Did they report that? No, they killed all the dogs. Hmm. Hmm. So they didn't report the killing of sheep no longer. Oh, no, they kept saying, like, yeah, the sheep number, it's weird. The sheep keep dying. Yeah. And then one guy started shooting packs of dogs in, like, the 1930s. Uh-huh. And the sheep killing stopped. Interesting. Interesting. Wonder what that was. It's probably the aftermath of all the yeah. thylacines being They're gone. They're ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> That's Taking revenge. On the dogs, yeah. So any comment about that before we move on to the next part of this episode? Um, it remi- That's kind of the rough history. Uh, I know I was kind of dramatic in some of it, but it blows my mind that the persecution... This isn't... It happens several times with other animals. These things were persecuted. Right, to extinction. Yeah. I mean, that's no other way to put it about it. Yeah. And that's the sad part that, you know. They had a heavy bounty on their head. 
And the thing is, they were never, in my opinion, and some people argue with this, mm-hmm. this point, uh, this is my opinion, they were never the problem. They were never part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I really, I bet you they killed two sheep. And like I said, one fell out of a tree. And just because they look scary. Yeah. Got they big, looked, they did, they, they did look fairly intimidating. Big scary mouths and mm-hmm. tiger stripes sound scary enough. Yeah. The, the only other animals they knew that were looked like that were tigers. Right. Yeah. And they were freaking terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. So I get, I get it, but it's awful looking back. Oh yeah, I would still. Do you like, know how stupid you would feel after you killed? Like we haven't seen Twilight in twenty years. Sheep still die every day. Right. Yeah. How stupid you would feel? Yeah. It's weird. I have this big pack of feral dogs in the back of the property, and they keep getting bigger. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like they're eating exclusively sheep. <laughs> weird. It's weird how this adds up. Mm-hmm. Um. My man, that stinks though. It stinks because it's such a cool looking animal. It's such a unique looking animal. Like, I would love to have a pelt, like I said earlier. I would love to have it if they weren't extinct. But it's just because they look so cool. They are pretty animals. Same thing with, like, a giraffe. Like, I'd like to have a giraffe, you know, pelt. Oh, God. But So many crimes. I know, but they're just, it's just because the pattern, you know, they look so cool and unique. But I I could never do it to it like a giraffe. But even these guys, I could never do it. But they look cool. They look really cool. I would, if I could have an ethically sourced skull... Yeah, one of these would be a neat one to have because the way that like their jaw opens so dramatically is yeah as a hinge marvel. Um, do they have any videos of that? Yeah, they have one yawning. Or oh, that's yeah. Cool. I think I think they got a video of Benjamin yawning. Might have to check that out. And you can see it's like pretty much like it's like it's almost one hundred percent vertical, like wide open. Yeah, yeah. that has to be so cool. So I think if you see one yawn, it's terrifying. Oh yeah, it's like something out of a Tim Burton movie. So. The thylacine wasn't declared extinct until the 1980s, uh, and that was basically it hadn't been seen for 50 years. Hmm. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's pretty much declared extinct. So the problem with declaring a species. So why would you wait so long to declare a species extinct? I bet they were just giving it a window to see if there was a bounce back or just see if one pops back up. So basically, once you declare a species extinct, mm-hmm. they have no rights. Ooh. For protection or anything like that. No habitat rights, nothing. Ooh, okay. So that's the big deal with declaring species extinct. Okay. Is like, so let's say you brought back mammoths. They have no rights. Okay. Uh, they don't exist. So it's kind of a weird kind of thing we have that may be hmm. changing very soon because for the last hundred years, it didn't matter. Yeah. Because it doesn't, we didn't see a feasible way that an animal like that could come back. Right, exactly. We, we couldn't Jurassic Park it. Yeah. Bump them. So, did, did the triassine go extinct? That's a million dollar question. I'm asking. Well, legally, yes. Okay. Do you think that? Do you think they're still out there? I do. Oh, of course I do. I I think something. They. I think these things always m- m- somehow m- make it. It's being this recently extinct. You know, I don't think they're a hundred percent completely extinct. But I bet their numbers are low enough to where yes. They're on their way out. They are extremely shy. Mm -hmm. And this was a species that was persecuted. Mm -hmm. So its fear of humans would be so extreme. It it reminds me of uh, buffaloes, in a sense, but buffaloes are coming back. Well, they're not extinct. Mm -hmm. But, like, that was a man-made human, um, what, genocide, I guess you could say. (laughs) So I have modern sightings of the tiger. Oh, my gosh. Thylacine? Thylacine for you. I keep trying not to say try. There's no R in it. Okay, so I have modern sightings for you. 2005, two German tourists in Tasmania, Klaus and Bridget, claimed to have taken pictures of a live tiger. Uh, and that, that picture exists. You can see, I think that's the one, you can see the rump of the animal. Hmm. You can clearly see the stripes. Mm-hmm. It's 100% a picture of a, ty- or a thylacine. Yeah, because tigers aren't there, are they? And they argue it all the time. It's 100% of thylacine. In November 2007, three investigators, including uh, Andrean Richardson, who had been hunting for the thylacine for 26 years, captured a video claiming of the t- uh, claiming that it's a Tasmanian tiger in Hobart. Uh, I don't think it's a thylacine. I know it's a thylacine, Richardson says. Mm. The video, it is one. Really? Uh, all this proof. I, I don't get why the, they don't want to remake it. They don't... Making an animal unextinct is a big deal. Right. Because now all of a sudden, now you have all t- kinds of protection land. That's right. I was just going to ask, like with the coelacanth, when they rediscovered that. That's a little different. It's in the ocean, international waters. Gotcha. Okay. That's a little different. I'm just saying when they brought it, like, 
okay, now it's they know it's not extinct anymore. Does it automatically go back to having like protections and rights and stuff? Yeah. Once you yeah, once you realize it's a, yeah. Yes. Okay. So in June of 2018, a Sydney man shared his home surveillance footage that captured what he believed was a Tasmanian tiger. It was. Hmm. All these videos, pretty much on this list I'm going to go over, I've seen, I think, almost every one of them. Most of them are pretty clearly a Tasmanian tiger. So, so can... they have a thick, solid tail mm-hmm. that doesn't move like a canids or a cat's. Okay. Because it's, it's pretty much a solid bone tail. Right, yeah, yeah. It's really weird. A Victoria farmer, Peter Groves, made the news after allegedly spotting a thylacine uh, while walking near Clifton Springs in January uh, 4th, 2019. Groves managed to pull out his mobile phone, snaps a picture of the, of the creature, which he uploaded to social media. It could just be a mangy fox, he says. But it seems to be bigger than a fox, and it's not shy. Grover explains that there is a lot of bush in, uh, in a lot of cover that I think it's quite, or it's living quietly and comfortably in there. He describes the specimen as funny looking with a big long tail and stumpy ears. They have short round ears. Mm. Regardless of whether it's a thylacine or, or whether the thylacine is extinct or alive, the debate will continue to rage on until there's definitive proof emerges. Hmm. So it sounds like they're still here. Yeah. For sure. So I have kind of a big story I'm going to have you read so I sure. can take a break. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of a cool one. So basically, this is from MysteriousUniverse.org. We use a lot of their articles. Mm -hmm. They have good articles. Let's start below there. All right. Are we on the cusp of finally confirming that the thylacine, a.k.a. the Tasmanian tiger, is not extinct but still roams Australia, breeding and growing in numbers? Or are we we on the cusp of de-extincting the species using a growing collect... Using a growing collecting of dna samples and newly discovered data of how close the species is to wolves i like the word de-extincting yes it might be the first time i ever heard that it will not be your last (laughs) both possibilities were in the news this week with an interesting eyewitness report of from adelaide and a comment from the doctor working with the thylacine dna so here's what the um doctor or I guess what the report says. Um, thylacine sighting um, January 21st, 2021. At approximately 6 a.m. SA time, which I'm guessing is Australian, I don't, I'm guessing, two days ago, a, leave, a man leaving his home for, for work froze in awe at what he was seeing in the front of his property in the Adelaide Hills when he saw that what he could only describe as a female thylacine with two young darting around very quickly about ten to, 6 to 10 meters away. He, I'm having trouble reading today. I know, I can tell. It's all that coffee we mm-hmm. drank earlier. He didn't have his phone on him at the time and was amazed at what he was seeing. The man's wife had previously told him of a large animal she saw at dusk approximately three years ago near a small dam on the property, and at the time he thought she was seeing things. Um, I think that's one, just the one story. So here's another one. Um, Neil Waters, the founder and head of the Thylacine Awareness Group of Australia. <laughs> that's a T-A-G-O-A. That's their name. Okay. And one of the best known seekers of the thylacine posted that eyewitness reports on the Facebook's, Facebook group's page this week. The Adelaide Hills is a mountainous area east of Adelaide in South Australia with plenty of places for a rare creature to hide and stay hidden. The darkness at the time was 6 a.m. The lack of photos or a video make the report non-definitive. So Waters contacted the witness for more info. Um, He said, last night, however, when we spoke, I interviewed them both. It was clear now he has 100% belief in what his wife had witnessed and he, too, has now seen the unbelievable. A podcast of our discussion will be released soon on our YouTube channel, blah, 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 as well as Mark Taylor's report when he heads out there the next day or so to set up trail cameras to get a handle on the area. More to come soon. Comments on the sighting are most mostly positive and hopeful, and Waters added this very telling piece of witnesses' testimony to one of them. He said... The sighting time has no bearing on their habits. I don't think since 
They could be there more often, but don't always get seen. The witnesses both claim that they have heard weird noises of a screaming nature of a screaming nature. Gotcha. Weird noises of a screaming nature several times and just fobbed it off. Must be an Australian term. <laughs> There's some terms in this, like in this, that it's just like, I don't, I don't understand. I'm assuming it's slang. I think fobbed it off. Just, yeah, they just let it go. Um, the beauty of this sighting is that the husband saw the monster make a weird screechy noise. That part is rare as Rocky... Okay, I'm not going to say that. Some profanity. Mm -hmm. Either way, it says that part is rare. (laughs) That he was able to see it making the noises. Um, That is rare indeed, so we'll anxiously await further investigation in the area. In the meantime, University of Melbourne professor Andrew Pask expounded on his recent research of the ancient wolf remains and ancient thylacine DNA, which showed the amazing similarities from embryos to newborn pups to adulthood between the otherwise unrelated species. It is no longer science fiction. We have all the tools to do it. It it would just take so long. There you go. So would it take so long? So before we get into the next thing, keep that in mind that they have very complete genetic strands. But what do you think about all these modern sightings? Some hmm. are on the Australian mainland still, Ooh. around these forest areas. Like that national forest I was yes. talking about earlier? Yeah. Oh, right. What is it? I can't remember the name of that. There's all kinds of them. Okay. But yeah. So what do you think about all these modern sightings? Well, I think it just lends credence that it's still around. It's in very little numbers, but it's still there. And it's still, like you said earlier, it was already shy before, and after like this hunting spree went on for mm-hmm. I don't know, let's say fifty almost hundred years. There you go. Yeah, it's probably going to be a lot more shy, even more so now. Mm-hmm. The ones that made it through. Yeah, I, 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 it. They're almost exclusively now seen with pups, which means that like the only time they're getting caught hmm. is because they're having to move kids from one spot to another. Right. Yeah. So, I think I think they're still out there. I think you're right that they're in very low numbers, mm-hmm. but I think their numbers may be getting bolstered, maybe bouncing very back. soon. Ooh! So the next part, why this episode is coming out, why certain like what what's special about this episode is we're bringing them back. Bum bum bum! So last year, this this happened. Rel- this only came out relatively recently, but last year, genetic engineering company. Colossus Bioscience unveil or un sorry unveiled the grand plan to resurrect the woolly mammoth and the giant ground sloth. Now the team has revealed a secondary species of this plan for their de extinction list. Mm. Australia's lost thylacine. Partnering up with the University of Melbourne Labs, which is the guy you were just talking about, mm-hmm. the project could re- uh, revitalize this creature in about a decade or less. The thylacine or Tasmanian tiger was a carnivorous mammoth. We've already gone about blah 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 blah. Hmm. Interesting. So we've completely wiped this animal off the face of the earth. Professor Andrew Pask, leader of the Tiger Labs, told New Atlas. So if we had developed the technology to bring them back, I feel that we'd owe the species. We'd owe the species this, even if it's at a substantial cost. Uh, because we were the ones that wiped him out. He's one of the people that were like, yeah, they were doing fine. Right, they until we did it. Bad. And now the last development uh, to make the cost a little easier to swallow, the Tiger Labs has now announced a partnership with Colossus, this U.S.-based genetic company founded by oh. entrepreneur Ben Lon and uh, Harvard geo- or geoscient- or geneticist George Church. I don't know if I like the sound of this. Colossus launched last year with a $15 million seeding fund. It aimed to resurrect the mammoth. The thylacine would be its team's second target species, the Colossus and the Tiger Lab, uh, to pull their research and resources towards a common goal. So Colossus has been around for a little while working on this mammoth thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Professor uh, Andrew Perks, leader of the Tiger Lab, with preserved thylacine fetuses, and taxidermied specimens used by of the Melbourne Melbourne University 
Tiger Lab has already sequenced the thylacine genome and is currently investigating its close to living relatives to find the best match for a surrogate and the template genome to mm-hmm. edit to be more thylacine-like. Classes brings uh, access to and experience with the CRISPR gene editing tools. Mm-hmm. The question everyone would ask is how long until we have a living thylacine? It's previously believed to be within 10 years. Time we would have to edit the cells that we could make the considerable progress to make it into an animal, uh, said Pask. With the partnership, I now believe it was within the 10 years. So he thought before, I guess it was, before, you know, after 10 years, now he thinks it'll be within. Yeah. Uh, time could have, that we could have our first living baby thylacine since they were hunted to extinction close to a century ago. Of course, this research raised plenty of ethical and sociological questions, not least with the, uh, with all the images summoned up by Jurassic Park. Ian Malcolm, so a quote from Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. You scientists were so uh, preoccupied with whether you could or you couldn't do it, that you guys didn't stop to think whether you should. Mm -hmm. It looks increasingly likely that regardless of whether these scientists could or should, they're going to try it anyways. Mm -hmm. So they have the, so there's kind of, Colossus, there's not a lot known about this company. Already suspicious. No, it's not government affiliated. See, you th- you are suspicious. I think this is what happens when somebody like me gets a lot of money. That's what you think. Is that I'm bringing back mammoths. I'm bringing back giant ground sloths, thylacine, and dinosaurs. See, what what would be the... And dinosaurs, yeah. Just like Jurassic Park. Nothing could go wrong there. Not oh, I will release them. They're not going to a park, though. They're going right into the wild. Okay, yeah, just skip the island. Release them in Arizona or something. Africa, they can fight elephants. All right, there you go. Yeah, what would be the so when they when they bring like these things back? I know we talked about like the mammoths before. They'll basically have like an elephant surrogate, so it'll be kind of a hybrid, right? No. Hmm. So the gene. Oh, you're right. We talked about this, but no, good question though. Is some people say it's not the correct? So we have a complete genome sequence Mm -hmm. of the woolly mammoth. Of woolly rhinos, of giant ground sloth, and of the thylacine. We have a complete sequence. So in normal situations, the egg and the sperm from both parents is formed into a zygote. Both those pieces have genetic information. Part of the se- each sequence, basically. Yes. This would be an egg that is blank of genetic material. It's just an egg. Okay. It is from the host, though. So if we're, let's say we're using mammoth. Yes. So it's an egg from an Asian elephant. Okay. I almost said African, though, sorry. Asian elephant. Uh, what we completely clear out the genetic material from the mother. Okay. And we put a 100% sequenced from the mammoth DNA. Okay. So it is a mammoth that is growing in an Asian elephant. Gotcha. Not a hybrid. Okay. So that's what we're talking about. They're trying to find appropriate host for the thylacine. Right, yeah. That was going to be my second question. Is it? Because the pups can be very large. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the thing, is they have a couple species that may work, and they may actually have to edit them to come out a little smaller at first. Mm. So this would be the thing, that's kind of the more question with the thylacine, is that they're so much larger than everybody else in their family, they'd be a little more difficult. So what animal could be a surrogate, I guess? Quolls, uh, there's tiger quolls, stuff like that. They do have a lot of members of their family still around. Okay, okay. Hmm. Um, so, and then we could create genetic variants with CRISPR. So you can create a population that has genetic variants and then release them and let them do their own thing. See, that's even, that just doesn't sound right. This, like, I agree with the author, but this is a animal, specifically the thylacine, mm-hmm. that deserves this right. That one I agree with. This Mammoths one. were already out the door when humans started killing them. Mm-hmm. Like, before humans really started hunting them, they were already struggling with competition of bison and stuff like that. But you mentioned another one, a ground sloth. What would be the point of bringing one of them back? There, there's, they were environmental engineers. So talking about the northern parts, like specifically we're mostly looking at Russia and northern Canada, okay. for these areas that they were responsible for taking care of. Hmm. So these megafauna weren't just feeding and living. Mm-hmm. They were creating whole environments and sustaining. Uh, so th- one thing, like we want to look way, way back, sauropods, the long-necked dinosaurs, okay. had these things called Titan Gardens. So they were forest that they manicured. Mm. So all life only existed in that forest in the way it existed because they were taking care of the forest. Gotcha. So these things like giant ground sloths, mastodons, mammoths, uh, these were ecosystem engineers. 
they mm. were responsible for sometimes dozens of species survival. Mm, okay. Not just their own. What, do ground sloths, like, dig in the ground and make and they, ir- irrigate? Humongous holes. Yeah. But, yes, all kinds of things they would do. Um, I think I just read a story. They just found mm-hmm, another. I've seen it. Yeah, another. It like a city. Yeah, underneath, and it's ground sloth caves. It's one ground sloth cave. Yeah, one. one. And they don't know. They're saying, like, oh, could something still be living in there? No. We don't know. Because, you know, they haven't even, they don't even know how deep it goes. You would know. If one was living, yeah, oh, he for would sure. let you know for sure. If yeah. You walked into his cave; they did not like people because they broke in. They, I think they were excavating for some. I, forget, yeah. I wish I could remember the country and city. But so for the big guys, that's why it's maybe important for them to bring back. So, for example, mm. uh, they're talking about carbon something for the mass mammoths and stuff like that. Mm. So what mammoths would do is why their tusks were shaped like those big. They were basically snow shovels. Mm-hmm. Is it so they didn't have to migrate as far in the winter? They could just put up with it and eat grass. Right, scoop all the snow out of the way. But these evergreen kind of things, they were always so they could feed 24-7 and still sump carbon to the ground. Mm -hmm. But there's all these species that are now struggling because the the mammoths were the ones that opened up the food source in the winter. Right, yeah, they cleared the paths Mm -hmm. out. Yeah. Now you have whole swaths of northern Canada in Siberia that have almost no big life Mm -hmm. because of that. Hmm. It's all this land that life can't use because the the ecosystem engineers are gone. Interesting. We need to be using this for the good... Like this CRISPR so, thing. I think that the thylacine would be another good candidate. Unfairly eradicated. Mm-hmm. And then after this, we start moving on to species that are endangered. Uh, like Californian condors. Mm-hmm. Or golden eagles and stuff golden like eagle that. Golden eagles, stuff yeah. like Because you can create genetic variants with CRISPR. Mm. See, that's where I'm like, I can see the benefits of it. But at the same time, it's almost like you're like kind of playing God a you little are. bit. And I don't know if I like that. See, I think for some of these species, we owe it to them to bring them back. Right, because we took them out, you know? Yeah, so what people about the thylacine, so I just read you all these encounters, yeah. and you did too, of these people that are still seeing them. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So people are mad that, that they're tra- trying to bring them back. Why? Because they're not preserving the ones they have. Mm, yeah, why not? Or they're wasting all this money. Exactly, yeah. So the Institute kind of said, okay, we get it. That, you know, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But you guys have been looking for him. Some of you guys have been looking for him for over 30 years. Still. And haven't brought a specimen. Mm-hmm. So as far as science is concerned, they are extinct. Mm-hmm. So we'll give you, it's going to take us five years to build this lab and have it fully functional. Mm-hmm. So you have those five years to bring us a thylacine. And after that, we will just work on breeding them in captivity and reintroducing that way. Hmm. It's much easier for everybody. Yeah. You know, it's easier on us. It's easier on you guys. And then we'll use this lab to breed other endangered species or recreate other endangered species like we're talking about California condors, that kind of stuff. So we'll immediately just hop on to the next because that's kind of the next step of this plan is to prove it works. Yeah, exactly. And so they basically said, yeah, fair point. You have five years. You find one. If you find a live one, Mm -hmm. we'll fully focus on breeding them Mm -hmm. and reintroducing them. You know, it'll it'll be a whole different ballgame then. But if not, we're going to make them, and we're going to reintroduce them. You know what it sounds like to me? Hmm. Someone's going to bring in a pair, like male and female, live. They're going to bring it to that crisp or that Colossus lab, and the guy running it or funding it or whatever is going to be standing there at the door seeing both these specimens, and he's going to look at that guy and go, these thylacines were never here. Oh, no. He'll just be like, I think they'll take and be like, see, technology works. Or, okay. yeah, it just does that. It, Made two of them super fast. Yeah, exactly. It keeps it's like them. a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Let's give this guy more money. Well, he's, so that group's fully funding themselves. They don't need money. Oh, gotcha. So that's the thing is that this group, the Colossus group, there's not a lot known about the company, but they know hmm. that they are not taking money in. That's even more kind of uh See, that's why I think it's a fun guy. It, oh, we have a button for that. Um, oh, that or it could be like dark funded money, like black budget. Oh, it could be, but I don't think it is. Is I think they're kind of hopping around Russia too. Well, that's a, they really want to bring the mammoth back for Russia. The thing is, it's an American based company doing this in Australia and Russia and Russia. That's strange to me. See, I that's why I think it's a private guy because it doesn't matter. Mm. He's not looking at borders. He's looking at appropriate habitat for species to be introduced in. Mm-hmm. So it's not about borders; it's about habitat. Well, I 
it only benefits the Russia because it's gonna if they reintroduce mammoths, it's gonna put an area of Siberia that is uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. It's gonna start making it habitable mm-hmm. for farming and stuff like that. Oh, it's maybe it's only benefit to Siberia or a one world government. You know, to have every spot on Earth be, uh, you know, more habitable or more uh, productive for themselves. I guess. Interesting, you know, all around the world, you got to have these spots every every nook and cranny covered around the world. So you want an animal for every continent. So, what's your opinions on them bringing it back? I don't like the idea, just because of the simple fact that. You're making, not that you're just like making them. I don't know, kind of in the lab. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. Just something about that just doesn't seem right. Or just long term, short term, it sounds like a great idea, but it just seems like that could have some long term implications that we don't even know where it could lead. I'm all, I'm saying, bring them back, baby. You're all Jurassic Park. Oh yeah, my favorite movie. I so you're of course you're bringing it back. I'm not bring them back. Bring them all back. I want giant ground sloths. How Man. cool would that be to have a 20-foot sloth as a pet? Oh, that, that would be amazing. I'd put a saddle on his back. Mm-hmm. Or he could carry me around, you know, like, you know, parents keep their little babies in, like, a little book Beast bag. of burden, deep exit, er, you know, he could make you a house underground. See, I would love it. That's their job. I would freaking really love that. Mm-hmm. I'll show him, some, like, some slides, you know, some architecture slides, you know. Hey. Some, I don't think he was that intelligent. Say, if you got one, you know... He didn't your, link fire. Your pet, you know, you trained for a couple generations. This is what I want. You know, maybe he'll figure it out. Get, get him some trig Starts lessons. doing marble columns and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, but he only makes marble columns. This is how it... This is what actually happened in the past. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was ground sloths making everything. What if they were just obsessed with the shape? Right, they just loved it. They're mm-hmm. obsessed with pyramids. Mm-hmm. There you go. The ground slots. Which just for some reason, they like stacking rocks and pyramids. They cut them out and everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. They'd put them on their shoulder and carry them out. They're just trying to dig a house, and then one guy figured out, hey, we can use these for... And then they accidentally built too big of pyramids. Yep, they co- and then... They're like, oh, crap, they won't stop building these pyramids. <laughs> so then God smited them, you know, big extinction. So you don't want to bring any of these back. I don't think so. No, not the way we're doing it. I would like to bring them back in the way of if they were could catch them, like the ones that we know are still living. But what about mammoths? You can't catch a mammoth. We're already bringing back a mammoth. I think so. I think so. Colossus has humped or hopped on to this project mm-hmm. when it hasn't quote unquote completed its first project. Mm-hmm. And they think they'll unveil, they think they'll have baby mammoths within 10 years also. Mm-hmm. I think they already have baby mammoths. I wouldn't be shocked. I think Colossus, the only reason it hopped onto this project this year mm-hmm. is because they've already completed their first goal and are not letting anybody know. But I think they want to save it to unveil it to mm. show a couple either really big juveniles or maybe even adult-sized right. mammoths. Yeah, because you don't want to show off some babies that might not Which make it. Which would still be cute and cool, but you're like, like, you can have all kinds of genetic problems, stuff like that. I think mm. when they want to unveil, I want to. Th- I think they want to be like, we're already done. Like, we have to prove nothing to you people. Here's a pair of full-size mammoths. That we raised There's two from. mastodons over there. Yeah. And there's a 25-foot-tall ground sloth. And His name's Chuck. He likes watermelons. <laughs> and giant turtles, too. Mm-hmm. They'll probably bring them back. It's So I think the mammoth... I really think the only reason there are, the company's already starting to branch out mm-hmm. is because the first goal is already complete. And that way, I think it may be a goal to get some of these environmental bids... To bring back other near extinct species mm-hmm. to prove, like, hey, we can bring back a mammoth. We have a couple of them. You know, the trilocines, we brought them back. Are sandhill cranes on the out now? Are they extinct list? I wish. Dang it. I want more of them. Mm-hmm. Should bring them back. If, if there's one I support, it's that one. Mm. Oh, we got to get a pet sandhill crane. <laughs> I know, right? Anything else to add? Like I said, I, no, I, I just, you, you could maybe one day convince me. And, some of these are bring. I don't back. have to convince you. They're coming back. Yeah. Doesn't mean I like it. You could convince me to like it, maybe. Maybe. If I have a pygmy giant ground sloth in the backyard, you'll love it. You're probably not lying. <laughs> if it'll dig me a tunnel. See, that was the thing with Jurassic Park is like, they, uh, in the book, in the book, they always talked about, well, why didn't we bring them back? Like, why don't we breed them slower? 
Why didn't we breed him, you know, bring him back? Uh, smaller? Sm- smaller, slower, lower metabolisms, mm-hmm. less aggression. And then Doc- or then Hammond was like, well, then it wouldn't be real. And then Wu was already like, they're not real. They're already not, yeah. Yeah, they have freaking frog and snake DNA in them. Yeah, exactly. They're mm. not real. Hmm. You make them whatever you want. They don't look like they would, they would look like. That's where I, I just, I guess my biggest thing about all this is opening that can, can of worms. Let's just bring back or preserve what we've got, and I don't know. These things seem to pop back up when niches become available, too. It's weird, but... See, I, so you're going that thylacines still exist? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think they do, too. There's plenty of video evidence, and that's what... I'll, I'll try to post some of that on the, the Facebook page, mm-hmm. but there's plenty of evidence to show that they still are around. Yeah. They're just really good at hiding. I don't know why. I don't know why they don't like people. Hmm. I think we white men. I think we figured that one out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. I have been the great and powerful mystery. And I've been the tinfoil man, Jay. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Curves of the Corn podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Please tell us what you want to hear. We have fun. Go on to the Facebook page. We give away stuff all the time. All right. You've been listening to Cryptids of the Corn. Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.